Hello and welcome to Wild, Wealthy, and Liberated, a sacred space that is co-created to deepen and expand your beingness in dismantling, deprogramming, relearning, rewilding, reclaiming your power so you can own your magic and share your medicine more freely. I'm Jasmine Hayden, your host and embodiment, love, wealth, and leadership mentor. Let's dive into today's episode. Hello. Welcome. Can we all take a few cleansing breaths together? It's breathing in through the nostrils and letting out some sighs out through the mouth. We can do three rounds. Breathing in. fully arrive here it's been a full day you've absorbed a lot of information you might have had some powerful releases letting every part of you fully be here maybe feeling your butt cheeks on the ground the root of your spine being supported This is a a talk and a conversation and also an invitation to stay present with your body throughout the entire experience. So you're welcome to take notes and I invite you to see how present you can be with how we are engaging with each other, how your body, how your mind is engaging with the dialogue and know that you can always come back to your journal later, right? You will receive what you're meant to receive. You'll remember what you're meant to remember. And our time here is only going to be here while we're here. (laughs) So I value that and I hold it with deep honor. So thank you for choosing to be here with me. It's a really powerful conversation that I'm excited to be delving into with you. And I'd love to share a little bit more about myself. Some of you were at Somatic Liberation and some of you I have yet to get to connect with. So thank you for being here. I am a lot of things. And some of the hats I wear are spiritual embodiment, wealth, leadership, and biz coach, a multidisciplinary artist, a social equity facilitator and consultant and a uh, integrative somatic trauma practitioner. And my work really sparked as a teenager in the social justice direction with so much rage and grief and pain over my lived experience and so many people who I saw, who I witnessed the journeys, who experienced marginalization or systemic oppression in ways that are so heart aching. And also having the privilege of having had access to higher education myself. I went to USC, I went to NYU, and I was surrounded by really brilliant, incredible people of all races and all backgrounds. 
and I felt so guilty about that privilege. <laughs> I felt so guilty about having access to a higher education and to pursuing a dream and living a life where I was able to experience things that so many people never, ever are able to. And I was going through my spiritual awakening process during those years of me reckoning with the injustice and the inequality in these worlds that I seem to be going between, these worlds of power and privilege and wealth and access and these worlds of needs being unmet and people suffering so unnecessarily because of the way that systemic oppression operates in our culture and in our society. So I made it my mission to be a bridge for those worlds. And that has been my driving force and spiritual healing and ancestral healing has been a fundamental part of that because as I have healed myself and healed my lineage, I've gained ancient wisdom I had no idea was there for me. I reclaimed my Mexican indigenous ancestors. I reclaimed my Nigerian ancestors. I reclaimed my medicine woman. And in that reclamation, I realized there's so much magic and medicine that so many people have to offer that don't feel safe in claiming it. So my invitation for you here in this conversation is to lean into any edges of discomfort that you might find arising. There might be something that feels sticky in your body or that might trigger some part of you or you might find yourself having some resistance to even hearing, right? And that's normal, that's expected, and that's the work, right? The work is being the kind of humans who are open and willing to look within ourselves and see what is ready to be met so that we can show up in the world and create the kind of change we want by embodying our own most liberated self. Because the truth is, all of the systems that exist that perpetuate those oppressions, they exist within all of us. They just show themselves differently and people of color experience them a lot more painfully, a lot more viscerally, right? And so you get to bridge that gap in whatever way is true for you. And I say people of color, but I'm also speaking into so many different aspects of systemic oppression and how they intersect. So I'll be speaking into class, into gender, into sexuality, and you get to tune into what identities feel true for you and how things resonate for you. And it's also an ongoing process of self-discovery, as we know, right? We're all conscious leaders here, but you get to become more conscious in your leadership as you know yourself and your body and the way that your body is responding to your own environment and to the impact that you have on other people. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for already being open and receptive. And <clears throat> I would like to also share my intention with you. <sighs> my highest intention is for each and every one of you to receive as much value from this conversation as possible. 
and for something within you to open, shift, transform, or activate that allows for an elevation of your beingness in the world and in your work. And I hold that from the bottom of my heart and with all of my soul. <laughs> and my spirit team and my master teachers and my benevolent ancestors, they are all holding that with me and all holding you here too. So know that you are held. <laughs> so I want to start off just by giving us a chance to have a bit of connection where we can look at each other here. And I know we've done this maybe once or twice throughout the time that we've been here at the conference, but this time when you're holding a glance with someone, so see if you can look at every single person in the room. See if you can look into their soul through the glance. It might be a strong ask. It might be a really quick and simple ask, but that's the ask to just acquaint yourselves a little bit more here in this space. So let's just go around and just scan and look at each other and see if you can just look into each other's soul just a bit as you just get to know the beingness that's beneath the body or the gender or the race or the, where they came from or where they're going, this infinite being that is living itself out in this lifetime, in this form of boundless, unconditional love beautiful and a reminder that everything here is invitational you are welcome to not respond to take a deep breath to go inward and close your eyes and you're encouraged to participate whatever that means for you so I'd love to start off this is a fun thing I do when I do different trainings in institutions when we're doing we're shifting policy around how they are meeting or not meeting certain needs and whatnot. And just to get a sense of who we feel we have uh, become or who we have been in the past based off of our upbringing and our circumstances. So this isn't gonna go really deep. This is like a light exercise, but just to get a gauge. So if you'd like to participate, go ahead and raise your hand. Everyone raise your hand if you would like to participate. If you don't wanna participate, you can just keep your hand down from the start. And uh, with your hands raised, keep them raised, keep them raised. <clears throat> I'd love to see those who lived in a household where you mostly felt safe and you mostly felt your needs, your emotional needs, your physical needs were met to lower your hand if that feels true for you. So take a moment to look around the room and see how many hands were lowered. Keep them high if they're still holded. Yep. Just take a moment and notice how many hands went down. If you were of the majority in the spaces that you were held race-wise, go ahead and lower your hand if that was you. So if you were one of the majority in the spaces that you lived in most of your life, so at school, uh, in your communities, if you were one of the majority, go ahead and, and lower your hand. Beautiful. So notice how many hands are still up. And if you had a desire to have your education furthered and it felt pretty easeful, pretty accessible, you were mostly supported in that, go ahead and lower your hand. Beautiful. Notice the hands that are still up and you can always take them down if you don't feel like you want to participate. I honor you holding them up and letting us see you. Lower your hand if 
you feel your gender matches the gender that you were given at birth, your true expression of your gender. All right, that was the one. <laughs> okay. So did everyone notice how the hands were lowered through each question substantially? Those are just some markers of privilege. Notice how soon or how late you lowered your hand. I personally would still have my hand held up. That's how much harder it took for some people to be here right now, to arrive at the privilege of this space. And that's the reality in most spaces, most spaces. So like many of my brothers and sisters who have had to work 10 times as hard to get half as far in life, there is a lot more of this and untapped into grief and rage and pain and sadness to just be able to have the ability to speak and to see and to be heard and to be seen and to be felt, right? And this is so interwoven with trauma and how trauma lives in the body and what it feels like to feel safe in spaces where that sense of belonging or that sense of care was not something that was available. And as conscious leaders, we also get to see how these different systems that have held others back or have held ourselves back in different ways, we can tend to be perpetuating them to ourselves because of the way that society operates. <laughs> Just out of curiosity, how many people here identify as a woman? Okay, beautiful, great. So one of the main things I'm gonna be diving into is the ways that toxic patriarchy and how we treat ourselves as women or how we are taught to treat ourselves as women is so interconnected with uh, toxic capitalism and the way that we see these differences in each other and have this sense of competition and this sense of worth and this sense of uh, perfectionism and the ways that we can beat ourselves up internally because the way that the system is doing it and feeding us those messages to do it to ourselves, right? Because these things don't come from nowhere, right? The inner critic that we have within ourselves, that's been passed down, whether it was your mother or your father, or whether it was the way a specific teacher spoke to you. These systems are so much larger than ourselves, but they are perpetuated through all of the people that are unconsciously continuing to act in the ways of those systems. And what they do is they feed that illusion of separation. They teach us to other ourselves. Because if I'm other, if I don't belong, then of course I won't succeed. Of course I won't feel safe in having security or stability. Of course I won't trust myself, right? Those are the messages that we're taught. And so, so much of decolonizing conscious leadership is unlearning. It's unlearning so much of what we were taught and relearning this boundless, unconditional love for ourselves through all of the parts of ourselves when we've been taught to shame or to not accept or to reject certain parts of ourselves because it's not good enough. 
right? That's like the, the number one toxic capitalist thing. It's never good enough, never good enough, never good enough. I need to keep working on myself. Once I get that fourth degree and write my 20th dissertation, then I'll be good enough, right? <laughs> right? Whatever it is for you. Or our measurement of worth being based off of whatever level of success, whether that's in your business, in your career, in your relationship. It's like, what if I got to just love and accept myself right here, like right here, not tomorrow or when I get that one task done? What if I gave myself the rest that my body is asking for? What if I loved myself so much I can let myself receive pleasure without a condition upon it? I can reward myself for just being rather than having met a certain accomplishment that I think I'm now deemed worthy of. Right? These are all of these little like subtle ways that that system, toxic capitalism, or the ways that patriarchy, they, they work with each other within ourselves until we learn to dismantle them. And what they do is they often, until you choose into or have the access or the privilege to get into this kind of work of trauma healing, which we are, we're all in some way connected to it just by being here. You might be in your beginning of your journey, you might be deep in your journey, but the trauma work, so much of that is getting out of the fight and flight that systemic oppression wants us to stay in. Because <laughs> if we're always fighting with ourselves, if we're always running away with our, from ourselves, if we're always abandoning ourselves, then how can we believe and feel that we are already perfect, whole, and complete? And then how can we see other people already as perfect, whole, and complete? Rather than what most of us were taught, at least I was taught, is this codependent relationship with everything, <laughs> right? It was with my mom, but then it was with my partners, and then it was with money, and then it was with my best friends. And I had to really go deep and recognize, wow, all of my joy or my love or my trust or my peace or my ease has been put outside of myself. It's been dependent on something outside of myself. What if we get to be the leaders who choose to bring it back into ourselves, to call our power back into ourselves, where we get to be interdependent beings working within ourselves and that allows for others to see the reflections and love and heal and transform and alchemize the wounds within themselves, not from a, oh, there's something wrong with you, or oh, I need to fix you, but oh, you being in my presence is a gift and it allows me to see myself in a way I didn't see myself, and that gets to be a gift for you too. And so we can share this together in a deep honoring way. And that's being in right relationship with all that is, with Mother Earth, with living beings and with intelligence that is beyond you know, the books. There's such a hierarchy. I love, I love books. <laughs> I, I love books, I did a lot of research. I'm definitely a nerd. And I have had the most profound teachings come from plant teachers, from the mountains, from the ocean, from the sun. This is the ancient wisdom that we've been taught to disconnect from, that which we are made of. This hierarchy of the mind over the body's infinite intelligence. And in decolonizing the mind, in decolonizing the body, we're reclaiming our power to receive that wisdom that is the intelligence of 
the universe, of the multiverse. And that's the intelligence that ancient teachings, you know, it's been passed down orally. These things we can't get in the same kind of ways that we did the information in school, as so much of us know. And we go through the certifications and we learn information and knowledge that's so valuable. It's so, so valuable. It shapes who we are. And what if the wisdom that your body carries for you is valued just as much? Your own soul guiding you in your journey, in your path, in what is your calling. <sighs> so I'd love to just take a moment to breathe into the word decolonizing and just see what shows up for you in your body as you tune into the word decolonizing. What does it feel like? And if your eyes are closed, you can blink them open coming back into the space. Is there anyone that would like to share what comes up for them when they tune into decolonizing? The first word that came to me was disperse. Ooh, I love that. He said disperse. Disperse was the first word for him. Yeah. For me, I imagine breaking things. Like, just there's a lot of anger there. It's like a rightful fuck you to me. Mm. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. For me, it was um, stripping it down to roots. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. I thought of like rewilding or like rebooting. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. That's most resonant with how I tune into the word and all of these definitions are so perfect. The actual Webster dictionary definition is to free or release control of. And my own weaving through my years of doing this work is dismantling the ways that systemic oppression creates the stories of our lives and choosing who we get to be and the quality of the life we get to live. So something else choosing for us and us decolonizing, we're freeing ourselves from that which was not ours to choose and reclaiming that power to choose. The story that we are choosing to create based off the stories that we might have been born into or that we might have inherited or that we might have been unconsciously playing out, you know, samskara, the patterns that are played out. And I resonate so much with the rewilding. I have one of my master classes is called uh, un Reclaimed and Untamed. <laughs> and it's so much, yeah, this rewilding, this letting free of, letting ourselves be free of, letting those parts of the ways that we've been indoctrinated to free ourselves from those. So what if rather than those uh, hierarchies of comparing or competing or judging ourselves, we got to allow for the truth of our essence to come through without those barriers. Because all they are, are their prisons. They really are. They're all little, little prisons. That's how I see it, at least. 
that <clears throat> we have these prisons of prisons or cages that's another way that I like to think of it uh, of colonialism or the toxic capitalism or the sexism or the racism that are causing us harm that make us feel this has been a huge part of my journey perfectionism was huge before uh, this perfectionism or urgency or productivity or all of these things is going 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 this there 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 and it keeps us away from being here so we get to shift our encoding because all of these things they come from ancestral systemic and social encodings encodings that live within our bodies live within our minds and we have the opportunity to re-encode ourselves in the power of the divine feminine in her wildness in her primalness in breaking free from those uh, molds is that it unleashes what might have not felt like it was safe to exist within those patriarchal prisons right because when the feminine doesn't feel safe we contract we constrict and we see this sexually, but we see this in so many other ways too. Like when the body literally is like, I don't feel safe, I can't be here, this isn't okay for me. And then through the work of softening and opening and allowing and breathing and the sacred feminine has that space to live and breathe and exist and the sacred masculine it then shifts from the toxic masculine of i need to force myself i need to pressure myself i have to go 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 but oh no i actually can be this container to hold all of that untamed energy not trying to tame it letting it free but i can hold this can we hold ourselves in that most people haven't been taught to, and we have, at least I know a lot of us have. Some of us might be you know, further in than others, but in the, in the path of leadership, in the path of conscious leadership, we get to hold these containers for ourselves with greater capacity so that we can hold other people with greater capacity. I mean, we can't hold containers of, let's say, 15 people or 50 people or 300 people if we can't hold ourselves in our own depths. And those depths have the messy, ugly, shadowy parts that we hide because we don't want the world to see them, but we all have them. That is what is our unity. That's our humanity, that all of us are reflections of our own shadow just as much as our own light. And the ancient wisdom that lies in reclaiming that divine feminine over the wounded feminine that you know might show itself through people-pleasing or over-giving or self-sacrificing versus having those strong boundaries of this is what I'm okay with, this is what I'm not okay with. These are the standards I hold myself to and these are the standards I expect others to be held if they're going to be in my space, things like this, right? Versus that toxic masculine energy of, okay, it doesn't matter what, what anyone thinks, I'm gonna force myself into the situation or I'm gonna force myself to get here, even though my body's telling me I need to like calm the fuck down <laughs> or like get myself some water. Because we've attributed our worth and our willingness to be uh, received in love by those other ways. And so, it brings me to this question that I continue to ask myself in my own 
student journey of what does it mean to be in right relationship to my body. Because in a penal system where mass incarceration, at least in the U.S., is very real and that system, I mean, it bleeds and leaks out into how we're just taught to treat each other and behave each other with each other or with ourselves and we're like punishing ourselves, you know, beating ourselves up, being super critical. Like, how am I being in right relationship with myself? Because that's going to be directly correlated to how I'm being in right relationship with any single person here or with the food that I'm eating or with the land that I'm on. And decolonizing is being in integrity and in right relationship with the self and with the body so that we can do that with the world. It's not necessarily an easy feat, but it can be a lot more easeful than we've been taught. That's the thing. We've been taught that it has to be so fucking hard, that life has to be hard. At least most of us. Has any, raise your hand if you've been someone who's taught that life has to be hard and you had to like change that story. Did anyone here have to be taught that? Okay, I'm like, who? I'm like, please don't tell me I'm the minority here. Okay, great. Yeah, so we were taught that life has to be so hard. And life does, of course, have hardness. There's obstacles, there's challenges. Those are parts of our growth. But the story that it has to be hard, that's still a part of the way that systemic oppression is, is happening. What if we reclaim ease? What if it got to be so much more easeful and pleasurable to be in our bodies? To just be in our bodies. To be in our work. To be in our soul work. To be in our relationship. Maybe not needing to effort so much. You know, one of the tendencies that I had to do a lot of work around was overcomplicating things. Right? And that's such a, like, a toxic masculine thing of the energy being in the mental space and that being the, like, choosing the mental over the body and just like overthinking or overanalyzing. I mean, this is also a symptom of anxiety, but again, anxiety is dissociation in a way of disconnecting from the body, from the wisdom, from your deep, ancient knowing. So pleasure is a huge part of decolonizing ourselves and decolonizing leadership. One of the humans that I absolutely adore is Adrienne Rear Brown. And uh, has anyone ever read Pleasure's Activism here in this space? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that book. <laughs> so I'm gonna read a, what? Pleasure as Activism, that's the name of the book. Yeah, she's brilliant. Uh, I'm gonna read this quote that is so relevant to this conversation. Pleasure activism is the work we do to reclaim our whole, happy, and satisfiable selves from the impacts, delusions, and limitations of oppression. Let me read that one more time. Pleasure activism is the work we do to reclaim our whole, happy, and satisfiable selves from the impacts, delusions, and limitations of oppression. And pleasure as activism in the way that I work with it is so much about reclaiming our liberation in a society that's taught us that we can only succeed through pain. What if we got to succeed in our wildest, juiciest desires, not through painting ourselves through it, <laughs> 
but through pleasuring ourselves through it. What if that got to be how it is? Because it is. Reclaiming slowness and easefulness as a dominant culture that wants us to go so fast and wants us to bypass ourselves or bypass our emotions or bypass our needs. Most of us, a lot of the people that I've worked with, don't even know what their needs are in so many ways because they haven't had the space to really meet so many different kinds of needs. I didn't, I didn't know all kinds of needs I had until I was like, oh yeah, I have this need. I, I have a need to have a lot more affirmation. <laughs> like, please affirm me. And also, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, there's nothing wrong with having needs. We're also taught there's something wrong with having needs. Like, if I'm with a partner and I don't hear I love you for a week, I'm like, I need to be affirmed <laughs> that you love me. I need to hear these words out of your mouth. Like, it's like, I, we know it. Or at least, you know, I hope that you do. Um, but, I mean, that's just one example. But this looks like, it looks in, in so many different ways all across the board. And so when we lean into the needs, we also lean into the desires. And what I've tended to see with so many of the women that I work with is that they also don't know their desires. I haven't felt safe to claim my desires. Like, ooh, I want, you know, a really impactful nonprofit that changes uh, the lives of youth in communities and brings sustainable food to neighborhoods and blah, blah blah but just to even start to speak into those things aloud for so many people that's like that there's already barriers in speaking desires that was a kind of a vanilla desire but <laughs> even other kinds of desires right <laughs> like what does it mean to to be, feel so safe and so liberated in our bodies that we can own our wildest desires and then believe it's possible for us to actualize them. Wow, the sunset is gorgeous. <laughs> I had to take a moment to acknowledge that. Uh, and so in that, there's also a lot of stickiness that I get to dive into and clear up that's been so much a part of my journey around money. I want to talk about money because it's charged. <laughs> it's charged as a collective, <laughs> right? There, for me, I grew up. I grew up in deep scarcity programming, so lack was just such a part of how I related to resources and to money. Like there was never enough. I wasn't gonna be okay. Um, it was a very finite thing. And then through my journey and deep ancestral money healing and awakening to holy shit there's actually an abundance there's like infinite resource and a lot of people are being cut off from it you know there are literally systems in place that are cutting off access to this resource that we actually made up ourselves um and some people are hoarding a lot of it and the rest of us are in that that loop and with money such a huge part of my journey and of my work and I love to teach because it changed my fucking life is reclaiming it as medicine. This is a huge part of decolonizing. Reclaiming money as medicine as this truly abundant resource that we get to use as tools and amplifiers of our work and of our impact and just notice how 
attached you might be or how much you might have distanced yourself from the attachment of money and your sense of worth. I think of wealth in a very wide way. <laughs> I think wealth of health, of nature, of connections, of beauty. I think of wealth of all different kinds of ways. And money is one form of wealth. And we get to serve more people when we feel like we are fully taken care of and supported. When we don't feel fully taken care of and supported by money, it's a lot harder to create the kind of change that we want to make in the world because there tends to be some kind of trauma response that is still being activated around survival because money is so connected to our root chakra, right? And to feeling safe in our bodies. So if we're not feeling safe in our bodies or not feeling safe around money and there's that insecurity, which again is so fucking real, <laughs> it's really hard and it gets to be easier to feel like money is medicine. And so in decolonizing our relationship with money, we also get to open ourselves to receiving more of it without all of the shit that we projected on it. Because I know I have, and so many of the people that I know have projected money as evil or greedy or something that is gonna to lead to something bad, and it's really just an amplifier. Money is just an amplifier of who you already are, what your values and beliefs already are. It just brings more of that out. And what I've noticed, and Adi is one of the most beautiful examples of this, good-hearted people do good things with money. So we want more good-hearted people with more money doing good things with money. <laughs> And I was terrified of even claiming that for myself because of where I grew up and how I used to have this, this judgment. And I had to like look at myself and like look in and say, oh, wow, there's this, there, that's there. And there was also this guilt and the shame and this privilege. And I see how this shows up in white bodies. I see how this shows up in black bodies. I see how this shows up in brown bodies. How the different spectrums of emotions that are attached to money keep us feeling unsafe with holding more of our own power in relation to money. And so we get into these kind of nuanced layers of power and privilege dynamics. And what does it mean for me to hold my power, to hold my privilege with integrity, with honor, to be of highest service to the most people that I possibly can in my leadership. And in that work, we're also connecting to the ancestral roots of what we were led to believe was okay for us to have and not okay for us to have. So I'm curious, I would just love to hear if anyone is uh, open to sharing, what's something that you were taught that was not okay for you to have? Like that you believe like, whether you were aware of this, someone directly taught it to you or if it was something that you weren't directly taught but it was a part of your belief system of like, oh, someone else might get to have that but I don't get to have that in whatever capacity. I'm curious what what might show up in that. Yeah. 
Desire? I'm looking at Desire. It wasn't directly taught to me, but it was taught that desire can be dangerous, and it took a while um, and growth in my own practice of discerning that desires are kind of like guiding posts. Mm. And as you move through them, they, they mature. Your desires never stay the same. And so to um, deny yourself those desires is to deny yourself the maturity of them. Mm. It's really phenomenal for me. And then also what you said about money, that was also indirectly taught. I always felt so uncomfortable asking for it for so long. I had to work around things that I wanted to create, to, like create some type of false altruism narrative to give myself the authority to ask for it, mm. um, which had its own false narrative, you know, created its own false narrative in reality. And that was really powerful in this experience to begin to then move around that and just directly ask for it. I love broken it down to money as medicine and it is it does just create a greater extension of you when you have access to it it's just going to showcase a greater extension of what you want what those desires are but to consider it as medicine is really is really powerful and um, I think in my meditations what I found was on my father's side is that uh, unbeknownst to him there's a deep unworthiness mm. of his family feeling like they could have access to wealth Mm -hmm. But my name means born into wealth. Wow. So there was a lot of parading as wealthy, but a deep-seated fear that they couldn't attain it. Mm. Um, so that was just, I had to really work through moving through that so that I could give myself access to have that medicine. Mm. Well, I've never heard it that way. And I thought that was really, I thought that was really powerful, the way you stated it. Mm. You're welcome. Thank you for sharing. <sighs> Take one more. Yeah. I was taught that I couldn't participate in extracurricular activities. Um, I didn't always have the resources for me to take extra music classes or for me to um, join a dance team or, yeah, it was like, unless it was an elective that the school offered, we didn't have the resources to be able to participate and um, yeah I think it just kind of left this imprint that I couldn't have when anyone else had mm. and it got to the point where I knew better than to even ask because I knew what the response was going to be and luckily for me I had a grandfather who sponsored me in being a cheerleader in high school and that was how I was able to participate in an extracurricular activity but yeah it definitely seeded this like this belief for a really long time that I couldn't have what everyone else had. Mm. Wow, thank you. So we can see these examples of these imprints that were set, where at some point in our upbringing, we were led to believe and then it became internalized that I'm not worthy of that. that I'm not enough for that. All of that is the intersections of systemic oppression at play, whether it's because you're a woman, whether it's because your skin is darker, whether it's because your family lived in a different kind of house or not in a house. And in reclaiming your liberation and decolonizing your leadership, it's choosing that you get to be more than enough. You are so fucking worthy and deserving. And so is every single person that you touch and that you impact. And that your story is also a part of the medicine. 
your story is a reflection of someone else's story in some way that allows them to be seen or heard or felt. And that as you create that space within yourself, within your life, within your work, within your business, you're creating more space for more liberation. It's this ripple out effect of people in their own medicine, of people in their own magic, of people shining your light. So I think that we're close to time, but oh no, we're past. I'm sorry, I lost track. <laughs> I got so excited. Um, so I'll just close off um, by giving a little space for questions because I just intended to leave space for questions and I'm sorry I lost track of time. Um, and I know that we, we dove deep, but there's so many nuanced layers to this conversation. So I acknowledge that. And I do want to answer like a couple questions that might have been sparked or activated at any point around anything that I talked about. Yeah. Yep. They were responsible for money. Mm -hmm. And what like would be, you know, just a, a couple like things like if I really wanted to concentrate on moving forward in my relationship with money that you would recommend. Specifically in relation to men or just in your own personal relationship with I money? Both. Yeah. Oh, I love this. Can I bring some like divine feminine magic to this? Is that okay with you? Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> all, of, all of my work is in the vein of like divine feminine power. So that will trickle into all of the ways. Uh, the way that I really love building a healthy relationship with money is getting as intimate as possible with it. Getting really intimate. Most of us are having trauma responses to money. We're either avoiding it or we are anxious about it. We are not looking at the bank account. We are thinking, overthinking about all the expenses. So what if you can be so present in your body whenever you're connecting with money, right? Thanking money when you're spending it on a way that is replenishing you with food, right? When you're paying your bills, thank you money for supporting me in having this house, having this water bill, having, right? tracking money not in a way that is you know hyper vigilant of like every single dollar but like wow look at all the ways that you support me money oh this feels so good and like bringing your body into it like soothing yourself being present with yourself allowing money to be this relationship that you're continuing to cultivate with it's like money loves to be with me and i love to be with money and the more that i grow in my relationship to money the more attracted to it i am and the more attracted to me it is right and so you can think of it however you want to whatever feels good for you. I like to think of it as my best friend sometimes. I like to think of it as my lover. <laughs> I like to think of it as like a goddess, but whatever way you can make it feel like something that is more safe and comfortable to be in relation with, because it, you're gonna be in a relationship no matter what, it's a part of our society. So it might as well make it feel better, right? <laughs> is there uh, any one more question? If you're someone who is not a part of a marginalized group or community, what would you suggest is the best way that they can start to um, really implement some of what you talked about today in their practice as like a takeaway from this? I love that question. Thank you for asking that. Yeah, that's a great question. Did everyone hear the question? Okay. <laughs>
So the number one step I would say is to educate yourself. Um, I am an educator, so I'm biased and <laughs> educating yourselves relieves so much of what can be a form of unconscious racism of expecting people of color or marginalized communities to educate you on how they are being harmed by the systems that you might be unconsciously perpetuating. So educate yourself, learn about how you might be unconsciously upholding white supremacy in these very subtle ways because we don't want you want to look at it. Oh, no, 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 no. Look, how might I be upholding white supremacy? But look, right? How can I be more anti-racist? How can I be a, a stronger stand for my brothers and sisters who have less privilege than me? So education, for sure, is the first, the first thing that I would say. And there's so many ways that you can involve yourself. And the big thing there is don't do it from a place of guilt or obligation. Because no one, no one benefits off of guilt and, benef uh, guilt and shame when it's not grounded in a heart-centered space, right? Like, yes, it, it might do some good for you to give that $3,000 out of guilt. Like, it'll, it'll definitely support people. But in terms of, of you being embodied, embodied in your practice, embodied in your, your work, and in decolonizing your practice, do it from your heart. Do it from the causes that are speaking to you or the initiatives that so many people are already leading that you can just become a part of. So thank you so much for being here. <laughs> I want to share a little bit more about my work because um, I didn't really get a chance to share any of it with y'all. So Here We Grow is my business that I run and it's in the intersections of spiritual healing, ancestral healing, social justice work. <clears throat> and I have different containers where we focus on uh, a lot of getting in the body in a way that will allow you to serve your purpose with your own pleasure and magic and medicine being reclaimed. And I have a one-on-one, -on -one. I have a mastermind that's specifically for spiritual entrepreneurs that are wanting to build and uh, scale and generate wealth from a very soul aligned place while they're furthering their impact and being connected to the body. Uh, and I have embodied alchemy. So for those of you who are in somatic liberation, that was like a snippet of what embodied alchemy is. It's my four week program. And we dive deep into any of like the stagnant suppressed energies or emotions that are stuck in the body and really clear them out and do some deep transmutation work to bring in more pleasure and freedom into the body, into the way that you move and the way that you lead and things like this. Uh, I also have a free three-day VIP virtual retreat coming up in a couple weeks, and I would love, love, love to have all of you there. It is called Power and Pleasure, and I can share any of the information with uh, whoever is interested or called into any of those spaces. Feel free to reach out or come connect with me. I don't have any cards because I didn't put anything out, but I'm on Instagram, Jasmine Hayden with two N's. Uh, and yeah, I'd love to get to know you better. So thank you so much for being here, being so open. Where do you live? I am nomadic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So for the
It's virtual, yeah. So all of my offerings are virtual. The Mastermind is virtual. Embodied Alchemy is virtual. One-on-one -on -one is virtual. I'm going to be in Costa Rica for the unknown future starting Sunday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no shame to anyone who may not be experiencing what we as people of color and queer identifying people and gender non-binary people are experiencing and yeah i just really appreciate the grace mm. and the inclusivity that you mm. share with me thank you yeah. thank you for saying that thank you oh actually you saying that reminds me so if you are someone who genuinely desires to be more decolonized in your leadership and to be more embodied in creating social impact uh, root and rise is my signature leadership program it's three months where we specifically go into how to dismantle systemic oppression in your own practice or in your own work while also building conscious awakened wealth so if that's something of interest that's more like what this was, but we're working with the body. I'm doing somatic work. It's coaching, so it's more of that flavor. You're welcome. Thank you, thank you. If you are a leader, a healer, a creative, a entrepreneur, a visionary, who is desiring to dive deeper into the depths of your spiritual embodiment and conscious leadership through a social justice or anti-oppression lens and approach and expanding your conscious awakened regenerative wealth with ease and pleasure, then I invite you to join us inside of Root and Rise, my three-month signature conscious leadership program the waitlist is now open until May 24th, and the earliest bird is here for you to claim your space if you're feeling the call. You can learn more about this container or any of my current open offerings on my website, herewegrow-jh.com, on any of my socials or here in the show notes. If you'd like to explore the healing, expansion, and reclamation of Root and Rise or my private container, then I invite you to click the link below and drop into the alignment. The waitlist is also offering a special bonus of a two-day juicy virtual retreat for nourishing your nervous system in your liberated leadership. So if this calls to you, check it out. And I'm so excited to connect more with you. Thank you so much for sharing Sacred Space and joining me on this episode of Wild, Wealthy, and Liberated. If you resonate, I would love if you left a review. And if you are more curious about my work and would like to get to know me better, you can Find the links to my website and my Instagram in the show notes below, as well as my free Facebook community if you'd like to join and be a part of that. Blessing your week and looking forward to having you back for the next episode.